0: Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, We're in for a treat. Uh, Today's message uh, will focus on the scripture from Luke 10, Luke 10, 38 to 42. Luke 10, 38 to 42. It will be on your screens to my right and left. And it reads, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is Jordan. I'm one of these pastors here at Renaissance. Hey, about a month or so ago, I said something at one of our staff meetings that I didn't think was going to get that big of a reaction. I said it kind of offhanded comment and didn't think anybody would notice it. But we ended up kind of stopping the entire staff meeting to roast me for it. Um, I just mentioned that uh, as we were planning for our third anniversary, uh, that this would be the first time I would ever actually celebrate. And everybody was like, whoa, 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 what do you mean this is the first time you're you're celebrating? Weren't you there at the first two uh, birthday celebrations? Weren't you there smiling and eating cake just like everybody else? What do you mean you weren't celebrating? Uh, And I had to admit something that was a little bit embarrassing. Um, Even though I was there physically, I was so distracted by all of the things that we had going on that I never actually stopped to celebrate. I never was able to truly appreciate all of the good things that God was doing in my life. I was just so distracted. Uh, The first year was almost like celebrating the first birthday of a kid. Uh, When my son first turned one, to be perfectly honest, I was just happy that he didn't die. I was like, this is... This is great. He's not dead. I haven't killed him in in a year of my negligence. And we didn't have anything figured out for my son at one. We don't have pre-K three figured out which dual language immersion program he's going to be in because he has to speak at least two languages. I mean, come on. (laughs) We were just so happy that we hadn't killed him. And the first anniversary of our church, I was just so happy that... Amidst my million things that I didn't know how to do, the church was still alive and thriving, surprisingly. The second year wasn't that much better. Even though we had figured some things out uh, in terms of how we do things as a community, how to grow and how to do certain things, I was so distracted because we had just launched our two-for-two initiative, two services for the very first time, and it was a weekly thing. And the entire Sunday, as we were supposed to be celebrating... I was terrified that maybe we didn't make the announcement that next Sunday we're gonna have two services again, and over and over and over again, I was just worried that the next Sunday nobody would show up at the 10 a.m. service. And you guys, if you were around last year, if you got one of my 72 emails or reminders about that, you would now you know why. And last year, as I sat in the auditorium and as I sat in the gymnasium, uh, I was distracted. And for the first time, I was gonna force myself to be present Now, distraction is a a pretty terrible thing, and uh, the reason it's so difficult is you never know how severe it is until after something wakes you up. A person that is texting and driving and is about to get into a crash has no idea what's about to happen to them. They don't know how bad it really is. They have no clue of how much they're missing out on what they should be focusing on until something wakes them up. Now, some of us are texting and driving in our spiritual lives right now. Uh, You're coasting, and you're missing out potentially on all of the things that God would have for you to do. And I want to zero in on a portion of Scripture today that has woken me up a lot this this past week, and I hope and pray that it does the same thing for you, that it jolts you a little bit and, and puts you back into perspective of what you and I actually should be getting out of this thing called a walk with God. Uh, I want to reread the scripture that Aswan just read. It's about a, an encounter that Jesus had with two women, Mary and Martha. Uh, and in this counter, Jesus is telling us what we all need to be on guard against, uh, something called distraction. So as Jesus is meeting with these two women, it says, while they were traveling, he, being Jesus, entered into a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken from her. Now, when Martha welcomed Jesus into her home, uh, it wasn't just that she was letting in just Jesus. As the scripture says earlier in the the, the 10th chapter of Luke, Jesus was with a group of like 72 of his disciples and followers. So Mary Mary and Martha were essentially welcoming in Jesus and his whole clique into their crib. So you have a house jam-packed with people, and Martha wants to make sure that she's being a good host. It would be rude to not have water out for people, sparkling and still. You've got to have both. <laughs> it would be rude to just neglect your, your, your guests, uh, to have them sitting around, uh, but Mary doesn't seem too concerned with that. Uh, Mary seems to be more concerned with being with Jesus. Martha, on the other hand, is distracted. Luke describes her as distracted with much, with much serving. Now, I've thought about this a lot this week uh, for my own life and certainly for your lives as well. Uh, wouldn't it be terrible that if we were to be examining our own lives right now or even at the end of our life, uh, we got to it and it says, yes, you did so many different things, but you were, you were distracted by all of the activity going on in your life, that you missed out on the one thing that was actually necessary, which is a life and time with God. Wouldn't it be horrendous if you did all of this spiritual activity, you came to church, and uh, you served on a volunteer crew, and you joined, and you did all these different things, and, and your life from the outside looked absolutely incredible. You were busy and doing so many things for God, and then Jesus says, yes, you did all of these things, but you didn't do the one thing that I actually wanted you to do. Put yourself in Martha's shoes for a moment. There's a lot of pressures that she was certainly facing, and uh, you and I face a lot of pressures. Uh, I know what rent prices are like uh, with all of our jobs and demands and kids and keeping up with friends and all of the list of to-dos that we have in our lives. Oftentimes, it feels like it's impossible to squeeze in one more thing, and oftentimes the first thing to go is time with God. Now, let me get to the elephant in the room a little bit. Um, Jordan, you get paid to read the Bible and pray, bro. Like, what do you, who do you think you are? Like, this is your job, is to sit around and, to, like, meditate on, on the words of Scripture. But I got a real job. I got real life. I got real bills. I got real rent. Uh, what are you talking about? Uh, I, I know what it feels like to be in the rat race. I practiced law for seven years, um, and I know what it feels like to work the 80-hour week Um, I know what it feels like to be so concerned with bills coming in, clients who don't pay, chasing people around, uh, and the the entirety of what it looks like to work a a regular job, doing regular things with regular life, and then to feel guilt on top of that to somehow cultivate a life with God. Now, this might shock you guys, um, but we don't have uh, a time problem. We have a priority problem. 99% of us do not have a job that every single week is 90 hours. You don't have that. Uh, There are some seasons that are busier than others, for sure. There are some seasons in life where your kids are sick, or something else is going on, or you're going through a really messy situation, and you could barely do enough just to keep your neck above water. Now, if you're in that ridiculous season, I'm not talking to you right now, but the rest of the 99% of us, we don't have a time problem. We have a priority problem. Uh, this is a book called Essentialism, and the author Greg McCown says something that's fantastic about um, uh, priorities. Uh, he said that the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular, it meant the very first or prior thing. It stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things. People and company routinely try to do just that. And this gives us the impression of many things being a priority, but actually, nothing is. Now, Jesus' correction of Martha about that Mary had chosen the right thing was saying, Mary, Mary has chosen to keep me as her priority. Mary is not under the illusion that she can do multiple things as first, and she's chosen to do the thing that matters the most. Now, part of the reason we're doing this series called Transformed is for the next eight weeks, we want to dig underneath the hood of our lives for a little bit, and we want to focus on what a deep and spiritual life looks like. And to be quite honest, the pace at which most of us live life is not conducive and is not uh, able to allow us to actually cultivate a life with God because we're so distracted. Now, for everyone that's new to church and new to Christianity, you guys are here at a fantastic time um, because I don't know if you've ever given thought of what it would look like for you to really cultivate a life with God or what does it look like for you to go from A to B? You're not worried about P. You're worried about I need to go from here to here. What does that look like? Uh, and I, I think What Jesus is talking about today is to get rid of the distractions, to to learn what it means to spend time with God in something called solitude. Now, we're way too busy, and we have way too many priorities. Um, And one of the reasons is I think what Kevin DeYoung says in his book, "Crazy, Crazy Billy Busy, Um, He calls these things the killer peas, And these are the killer peas that keep you and I so distracted and so busy that we squeeze out time for God and we miss out on the one thing that we should be doing. Uh, He he lists a number of things. Uh, The first is poor planning. You and I, we need to learn what it means to set a priority and to keep it as the priority. And oftentimes we miss out on so much that God is doing because we just don't plan well. Now, all of us, know how to plan, especially if you're older, you know how to plan to pay your rent, right? That's a priority. You've got to get that out. And if you're going out buying sneakers and Twizzlers with your rent money, uh, you will very soon find out how unwise of of a decision that is, because every first of the month, that is a recurring expense. And maybe you learned the easy way or the hard way, but you've learned about planning financially. Now, time is also something that is infinitely finite for all of us. Not all of us have a mere 24 hours in a day, and we're not always planning well to make sure that we put the big rocks of life in there first, that we're able to actually cultivate a life with God by planning it and being intentional. Now, it's always important for you to automate and for you to schedule and for you to make sure that the big things that are important in life are actually in your schedule. And it would be incredibly unwise for us to say that we're in a pursuit of God Uh, And we don't actually automate what is important in our lives to make sure that we plan for that. The second one is probably the one that uh, impacts me the most. It's uh, people-pleasing. I hate to say no to people. uh, And actually, one of the best things that's ever happened to me was my son being born because that gave me an excuse without hurting people's feelings. It's like, hey, man, I would love to come to your third cousin's karate tournament. (laughs) But Jameson, he's sick, and he has a stomach thing, and... I just got to stay home with him. I'm so sorry, but I have, to, I have to miss it. I wonder often sometimes how much of my schedule is so jam-packed because I don't want to disappoint people. And I don't want to miss, and sometimes I end up missing out on what God has for me because I'm just so busy and so hurried, and I'm not able to slow down and spend time with God because my schedule is jam-packed, all because I didn't learn the magic of that wonderful sentence, no. No is a complete sentence. And a lot of us need to learn to put that in our vocabularies uh, to make sure that we're putting the most important things in the first place. Uh, The other one is prestige. Uh, So many of us are doing things just to climb the proverbial ladder uh, at our jobs, things that aren't even required of us or or the way that we spend our, our time. It's all really, if we were to be perfectly honest, if we were to keep it a buck, it's to gain more prestige that people would think more highly of you. Uh, This next one is for all of my my perfectionists in the room. Hey, God forbid, God forbid that what you do is not absolutely, 100% perfect. I mean, every little detail has to be perfect. And a lot of your time is spent, not because uh, you have so many things to do, but you're actually a perfectionist. uh, Because deep down inside, you need things to be perfect for you to feel good about life. The other one is um, proving ourselves. Uh, there's a scene in Rocky II where right before Rocky is going to fight Apollo Creed, he's sitting on a bed talking to Adrian. He says, Adrian, if I can just go 15 rounds with the champ, man, if I can go 15 rounds with the champ, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. Now, all of us have those things in our lives. where We say, if I can just do this, then I know that I'm valuable. I know that I'm worthy. If I can just get to this place in my career, if I can just have this many zeros in my bank account with a number in front of it, if I can just do this, this, and this and accomplish these things in my life, then I'm worth something. Then I'm actually worth something. And the last one is possessions. Uh, we, buy, we spend a lot of time to buy a lot of things to impress people we don't even care about, to uh, glamorize our, our, our lives, And oftentimes, we're so busy because we have a lifestyle that's well above what we actually should be living. Now, these are all distractions from a life with God. And Jesus offers us a way for us to undo that. And it's a very simple thing. It's a concept called solitude. Now, Pete Scazzaro, he, he wrote a book called Emotionally a Healthy Spirituality, and throughout this series, we're going to be borrowing pretty heavily from uh, Pete Scazzaro and the work that he and his team at New Life and his wife, Jerry, that they've done to contribute to this conversation. Um, one of the definitions that Pete gives for solitude is that solitude is the practice of being absent from people and things to be with God. Solitude is the practice of being absent intentionally from people and things to be present with God. Now, the first thing that we need to notice about this definition, that is, this is the practice. And we talk about practice. Um, NBA fans, you would have gotten that. Uh, It's not something that you've perfected. It's not something that you're going to ace tomorrow. It's not something that you're going to be amazing at. But it is the practice of you being absent from people and things to be with God. Now, all of my years playing basketball, I've never had a coach um, at practice be totally happy with everything. They're always nitpicking. There are always things that you could have done better. So this is not about you being a perfectionist. This is not about you getting it um, completely right. It's about us being intentional to practice this thing called solitude. Now, Jesus is more certainly than an example in our lives. Uh, He's our, our, our Lord and our Savior, but he also serves as an example of what it looks like to cultivate and to live a life with God. And I'm always struck by scriptures where Jesus goes away to be with God his Father. There's a scripture in Matthew 14, 23, where it says, After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was there alone. Here's a question. If Jesus, the Son of God, in whom the fullness of God dwelled, if Jesus needed to get away to be absent from people and things to be with God his Father, how much more do you and I need that? Is Jesus, uh, who, who, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed it, how much more do you and I need it? Jesus also exhorts and tells us to do the same thing in Matthew as he tells us to pray. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Jesus knows that you and I cannot cultivate a transformed life with God at the busy and in hurried and a completely chaotic pace in which we normally live. Now, in solitude for us is that gift. It is that answer. It is that practice that you and I would intentionally engage in time alone uh, with God. And I want to talk about three brief gifts that you and I get from solitude, uh, three things that we get. And the list could be a whole lot longer than this, but this is um, certainly the things that jumped off the page to me. Uh, three things that happen to us uh, when we spend time absent from people and things and devoted towards spending time uh, with God. And first is just the gift of slowing down. Martha is actively serving Jesus, but she's missing Jesus. She's busy in the doing part of her life, and her life at this moment is full of shoulds and have tos. Her life is fragmented, pressured, and filled with distraction. Her duties have become disconnected from her love from Jesus, for Jesus and Martha's problem goes beyond her busyness. Her life is actually uncentered and divided. And I think that even if Martha were to sit down at Jesus' feet here, she would have so much inner turmoil that she still wouldn't be able to pay attention to what's going on. And here's crazy. Uh, one of the things that's crazy, one of the surest signs that Martha was so out of uh, centered being with Jesus was that she was actually telling Jesus what to do in her life. Jesus, you're, you're over there busy teaching. Tell, Mar- tell Mary to come in here and help me. Oftentimes, when we are off-centered, our prayer lives are actually, hey, Jesus, you need to be doing this. Jesus, I don't, you're doing all of this other stuff. I don't care about that. But I've been on match.com for how many months, and <laughs> I still ain't found nobody. This is what you need to be doing. And our lives are off-centered, and we end up Um, having a a shallow relationship with God where it's just this transaction of things that we should be doing, or that, better yet, what we think God should be doing in our lives. And slowing down allows us to disabuse ourselves of the notion that we know better than what God knows. Uh, When I first became a Christian, I I really did cherish time reading the Bible. I didn't have any uh, other thing to do. I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't teaching any Bible studies. And every single day, I, I absolutely just cherished spending time Reading the Bible and praying—it's uh, something that I, I formed my life early on. And then I started a Bible study on campus, and then we started doing things. And slowly but surely, doing replaced being. And in all of the activity that I was going on, I thought I was growing. I thought I was contributing to something that God wanted me to do. I was so active and so busy, and I started to feel my love for God diminish slowly but surely. And instead of being uh, someone who was being won over to God and spending more time with God and growing in my faith, a deep life that's cultivated, I was actually just turning into a super religious jerk. Now, solitude offers us this ability to slow down and to recenter ourselves. Uh, in your discussion guides this week, for those of us in, in CGs, uh, there's, a par- there's a diagram that I hope um, I want us to focus in on, um, and it's this these circles of our life. And one of them is doing, and the other one is being. And it, uh, if we were to measure the circle in your life, uh, how much we are being with God versus how much we are doing for God and for other people, uh, do those things actually look remotely similar? Now, the, the goal and the cure for that is it requires for us to slow down and to pay attention and to wake up a little bit to our driving and our texting uh, and all the things that we're missing out on Now, the second gift of solitude uh, is probably my favorite, and it's the gift of anchoring yourself in God's love. The gift of anchoring yourself, not in the thoughts that you hear around you, not in what you think of yourself, but anchoring yourself in God's love. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, spent any time on a boat, um, but an anchor is the thing that keeps you in place no matter what is going on around you storms could be going on around you, and whatever is going on above the surface doesn't affect this anchor which has locked you in, in position. And when we don't have times in solitude, uh, we're not lowering the anchor in our lives, and uh, we're we're able to blow away based on whatever the winds above the surface are doing. And solitude gives us this gift of anchoring ourselves in God's love. Now, Christianity is not about your disciplined pursuit of God. It is not about that. It is about God's pursuit of you. Christianity is not about your pursuit of God. It is about God's pursuit of you. So much so, Jesus tells stories in Luke 15 that this love that God has is so intense that every time we turn to him after wandering from his love for us, all of heaven breaks out in thunderous applause. Now, a lot of us know this intellectually, but the challenge is from it making from our heads to our hearts to experience this love, this infinite love, is another matter. Uh, because what we experience on a daily basis is much different than that. It's the sinister voices in our heads, in our culture, in past encounters that are shaping us. Um, that we might wrestle with these deeply held, held negative beliefs that we've learned from our families and our culture. Um, And here are the voices, here are the things that we hear about ourselves on a daily basis. It says that, I'm a burden. Uh, I'm worthless. Here's mine. I'm not allowed to make mistakes. I I must be approved by certain people to feel okay. I don't have the right to experience joy and pleasure. I don't have the right to assert myself and say what I think and what I actually feel. I don't have the right to feel I'm valued based on my intelligence, wealth, and what I do, not for who I am. Do you know what we do as a result of these negative voices in our head, in our culture? We get as busy as we can possibly get to do stuff to make us feel valuable. We get as busy as we can get to work as hard as we can get to undo these narratives in our head, and what we are straying away from, what we are being pushed away from, is being anchored in a deep love that God has for us, and only in solitude, time spent with God, are we able to truly anchor ourselves in God's love for us. Scripture tells us a a much different story than those sinister voices we may be hearing in our heads. Um, Scriptures that I was meditating on this week, um, Ephesians 2 and 10, it's one that I've Uh, mentioned a number of times. It says, for we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared for us, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. For anyone who has placed their faith in Christ, this is what this is saying. You're not just another cog in a wheel. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. You are God's work of art. That God has invested time into and God has looked at from different angles, and that God is committed to, and God is infinitely pleased with you just because you are. For anyone who has placed their faith in Christ. Another scripture in Galatians 4 and 7 says So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, God has made you an heir. In ancient Israel, as they were in slavery in Egypt, their only value was based on how many bricks they made that next day. It didn't even matter what they did the day before. How many bricks did you make? What did you actually produce? Your value was directly and inextricably linked to what you did that day. And here's what Scripture tells us. That's not you. You're not a slave. You're a son. All the things that make you valuable is what you have received as an heir from God. And the slave doesn't uh, have the son's rights. And if you wake up as a son and you don't do anything, you wake up as as an inheritor of what God has done for you, and you don't do anything, you're still going to receive the same amount. You want to know why? because you're not a slave. You're a son. Now, oftentimes, um, even as a pastor, I, I wrestle so much with um, me being a human doing and not being a human being, and I miss out on God's love for me that reminds me, Jordan, you are not a slave. It doesn't matter how many people come to church. It doesn't matter how many people get baptized. It doesn't matter how great the discussion guides are. It doesn't matter how great the, uh, anything at the church is. It doesn't matter anything. Your sermon could be an A or an F. You're a son, Your value doesn't depend on that. I hope you do good, but even if you don't, you're still my child. Uh, Brennan Manning, who's an amazing author, uh, he's written a number of books, one being um, The Furious Longing of God that I I love. And he has a quote where he says, uh, it is always true to some extent that we make our images of God, but it's even truer that our image of God makes us. Eventually, we become like the God we image. And one of the most beautiful beautiful fruits of knowing the God of Jesus is a compassionate uh, attitude towards ourselves. This is why scripture attaches such importance to knowing God. Healing our image of God heals our image of ourselves. Now, your day tomorrow could be jam packed with so much stuff, mainly because your image of yourself has not been healed because your image of God has not been healed, because you and I are not going to the source. We're not spending any time disciplined and hearing from God. Now, the last gift that we get from solitude is the gift of breaking free from illusions. Um, Tim Keller says that the gospel is the good news that you and I are more sinful, more sinful uh, and broken than we'd ever want to admit, but at the same time, uh, more loved than we can ever imagine more sinful than we ever want to admit, and at the same time, more loved than we can ever imagine. And the gospel tells us that we're able to be wrong and loved at the same time. So you know what that, gives, that does to you? It allows you to face what's really going on in your life. It allows you to, uh, to not have to put up this exterior that you're, you're so right all the time. You could be wrong and loved at the same time. Uh, I have a mentee that I was working with, and every time I would tell him something, he would say, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. I you know." I, would correct like, a grammar in his email, oh yeah, I, I got it, I got it, I know, I know. I'm like, slow down, you don't know, and it's okay. And in his life, he was so hurried, and it, it took him one time days to write one email because he refused to ask for help, uh, because in his mind, he wasn't able to ask for help. He wasn't valuable enough to ask for help. He wasn't a son. He was a slave in his mind. Now, oftentimes, our lives are so hurried uh, because we're just afraid to admit that we need help. We're off-center. Uh, we have these pretenses and this exterior wall-up that, uh, that are allusions to us actually breaking free from what is truly going on in our lives. But when we root ourselves in uh, God's love for us, we don't have to live, live up to these illusions. Now, Scripture says the same thing about us. Uh, Romans 7 is a really powerful passage of Scripture. Paul is wrestling with himself and his decisions that he's making. He says, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, I am no longer the one that does it, but the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner of the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, in solitude, uh, we have space to break through, to live in the truth, and we can stop pretending to ourselves, to others, and to God what is truly taking place inside of us. We can break free from uh, trying to live a life that someone else has lived, and we can live the life that God has called us to live, not to people please, not to do what uh, your parents or your friends or someone else expects you to do, but to do what God calls you to do, because you're no longer bound to someone else's expectations of you. We're free to acknowledge our brokenness and our vulnerabilities rather than trying to cover them up. We can rediscover God's grace and his mercy for us. We can break free from the tendency to attach ourselves to accomplishments and um, people's approval to feel okay about ourselves and generational patterns and the illusion that there is something better than what God actually has for me in this present moment and to sit in God's love as God's daughter or God's son. Now, we have beaten this horse a couple of times uh, of making sure that you and I discover and engage ourselves in these practices that God has called us to engage ourselves in so that we could experience God's love for us. And one of the ways that we do this is here at Renaissance called CBR. It's a daily Bible reading that we engage in that basically is spent to center us uh, around God's love. Now, if you've been around and you've done that before, I would encourage you to take it out. Blow the dust off of it and uh, get back to it tomorrow as we are journeying through the gospel of Mark. Uh, Even more importantly, we also realize that there are so many people who have never spent time praying or reading the Bible. And you're like, I don't even know what none of this is. This all sounds great. I'm inspired to do it, but how do I actually do it? Uh, Right after service um, today in the cafeteria, Lester will be walking through how to actually do this for you. It'll take 10 or 15 minutes, and if this is you and you're wondering, man, how do I actually do it? I would strongly, strongly encourage that you go out uh, and meet Lester in the cafeteria so that you and I could spend this time with God and learn what it means to be free from distractions. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, when the story of our lives is written, God, I pray that it doesn't um, end up that you, that we were too distracted to, to hear from you, that we were too distracted to learn from you, that we were too distracted to grow from who you are. So Father, we pray that you would free us from our distractions, from the illusions, and you would uh, show us what it means to cultivate a deep life with you. Jesus let me pray. Amen and amen.